Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, the number of people killed in the Hawaii wildfires has climbed to 106 as the search for more than 1,300 missing people continues. Niger's military junta says it is open to talks to resolve the crisis triggered by last month's coup. And at least 50 people have been injured in central and western Japan due to heavy rain and gale force winds brought by tropical storm Lan. Starting in North America, a grand jury in the U.S. state of Georgia has charged former President Donald Trump with trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Arrest warrants have been issued for the leading Republican Party presidential candidate and 18 allies. All 19 defendants are charged with violating Georgia's racketeering act. Nathan King reports from Washington. Moss is a former election worker in the U.S. state of Georgia. She was allegedly harassed by the Trump campaign on claims she committed election fraud in a bid to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. This turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. I um, don't want anyone knowing my name. She was later cleared of any wrongdoing. Her experience makes up a small part of a 98-page indictment unsealed Monday night and includes 13 felony counts against former President Trump and a total of 41 counts against 18 other individuals with charges that Trump and his supporters in Georgia engaged in a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the presidential election. The indictment alleges that rather than abide, abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election results. The charges uses statutes normally reserved for organized crime syndicates. The potential crimes range from stealing poll data to trying to seat fake electors on January the 6th that could have delivered Georgia's 16 electoral college votes to Trump. Trump scrambled to overturn the results of the election, a moment encapsulated in the publicly released phone call between Trump and the Secretary of State for Georgia, who's responsible for overseeing elections. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. Trump denies the latest charges, writing on his social media account partly. So the witch hunt continues. 19 people indicted tonight, including the former president of the United States, me, by an out-of-control, very corrupt district attorney who campaigned and raised money on I Will Get Trump. The former president has now been indicted four times in the past five months. He faces up to 20 years if convicted of the Georgia charges. Trump, of course, is fighting back, portraying himself as a martyr targeted by a partisan legal system. He's raising millions in campaign donations, too. But there's one big problem for the former and potentially next 
US president is that Georgia is charging him with state crimes. As president, he would not be able to pardon himself or shut down the investigation. That was Nathan King on the indictment of former U.S. president and leading Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. Staying in America, the search is continuing in the Hawaiian island of Maui for about 1,300 people still missing following the devastating wildfires. The number of people killed has climbed to 106. Authorities say they expect the figure to continue to rise, with only about 30% of the burn area having been searched so far. Greg Navarro reports from Maui. Much of the focus here in Maui remains on the historic town of Lahaina, the town that was virtually destroyed by a very fast-moving fire. Specifically, they continue to comb through What's left of that town searching for remains of people, hoping to identify people who are still unaccounted for. Initial reports of about 2,000 people missing have now been downgraded to 1,300. About 20 cadaver dogs and their teams are combing through, going through the very slow and methodical process of trying to identify people. They're asking for the public to help those people with family members, loved ones still missing to provide anything they can, including DNA, to help with that identification process. There are other fires that continue to burn, including one not far from where I am in an area called the Upcountry. That destroyed about 20 homes. Uh, the authorities are continue to keep an eye as the winds continue to be an issue around here. So again, the primary focus continues to be on Lahaina. At this point, the governor is saying that uh, the, all of this still in phase one, which is trying to find those people who are missing and then identify bodies. That was Greg Navarro reporting from Hawaii. Moving on to Africa, Niger's military junta says it is open to talks to resolve the crisis triggered by last month's coup. The West African regional bloc ECOWAS says its military chiefs will meet in Ghana to discuss possible military intervention in Niger. The meeting in the capital Accra is scheduled to take place on Thursday and Friday with an aim to restore democratic order in Niger. The meeting comes after the military junta threatened to prosecute deposed President Mohamed Bazoum for high treason and undermining state security. Deji Badamosi reports. The last time uh, the ECOWAS uh, heads of state met, uh, they gave order now for the activation of uh, a standby force. So this meeting uh, is basically to make uh, the, the necessary arrangement, logistics, financing and all of that. So. For instance, where will the troops come from? How many, what number would each of the countries uh, contribute, if you like, uh, uh, to this standby force? So these uh, defense chiefs now are supposed to work out all of those details. And after that, they are going to now uh, present uh, their reports to uh, the heads of state uh, for a possible deployment now. So, so it's after the force has been activated, then deployment may come later. And that is if if negotiation failed. Uh, remember, at the last meeting, they said, uh, that's the heads of state now said they were going to prioritize dialogue and diplomacy, but that no option uh, was going to be off the table, including uh, the military option, but that if there was going to be any kind of military intervention, it was going to be a last resort. So it, I, I think what ECOWAS is trying to do is to say, look, using the carrot and the stick approach, telling the junta that look, we're ready to talk with you, but if those talks fail, because you never can tell, 
Before now, the junta was not willing to talk uh, with ECOWAS. Now it is open to talking with ECOWAS. In the next few days, we expect ECOWAS to send a delegation there, depending on how those talks go. Um, all of this may be resolved peacefully without having to use um, a, a military force. But then ECOWAS is still going ahead with the activation of that force, just in case down the road uh, it needs the force. That was Deji Badamosi reporting. In Asia, at least 50 people have been injured in Japan when heavy rain and gale force winds brought by Tropical Storm Land battered the country's central and western regions. The tropical storm caused power outages and flooding, and authorities have advised 230,000 people to take shelter in safer buildings. Chris Gilbert reports from Tokyo. Well, Cyclone Lam crashed into central Japan on Tuesday, bringing gale force winds and torrential rain. Forecasters had expected a month's worth of rain in just 24 hours, but uh, some areas, in fact, saw three times that amount. The deluge is uh, swelling rivers to bursting point, particularly in Kyoto, where the rivers swept away pedestrian bridges, burst their banks, and the floodwaters entered people's homes. Residents using buckets to clear the waters from their entranceways and living rooms, some saying they'd never seen anything like it in the 60 years that they'd lived in the city. Uh, the rains are now heading towards western uh, Japan. Authorities are urging people to stay vigilant and stay inside, not to venture out unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, and even though the typhoon has been downgraded to a severe tropical storm, uh, authorities are urging vigilance as it heads towards Japan's northern island of Hokkaido later in the week. That was Chris Gilbert in Japan. On to Europe. Fighting between Russia and Ukraine has intensified in the Black Sea as Moscow holds a conference on international security. Ukraine says Russia unleashed a wave of drones in the direction of the Danube River headed for the river port Ismail. Russia says its forces struck key Ukrainian military enterprises with long-range guided missiles. Meantime, the Russian central bank hiked interest rates to 12% from 8.5% after the ruble tumbled due to Western sanctions and military spending. Dasha Chernyshova reports from Moscow. Russia's national currency, the ruble, gave up early gains on Tuesday and volatile trading after the country's central bank hiked the key interest rate to 12% from 8.5%. The Russian central bank held an emergency meeting after the ruble hit the lowest level since the early weeks of Russia's special military operation in Ukraine. The bank says more hikes could follow as pressure builds on the economy. In the meantime, the Russian capital is holding a security conference. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu said the conflict in Ukraine is a serious test for Russia, but claimed that the preliminary results of combat operations show that Ukraine's military resources are almost exhausted. Shoigu accused Ukraine of using the grain deal to amass weapons and ammunition in Odessa and other Black Sea ports. He said Moscow has been refraining from the use of cluster munitions in Ukraine, but may reconsider. He criticized Western support for Ukraine, saying it is extending the conflict. And Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, said Western countries are ignoring warnings from Russia about the risk of weapons being supplied to Kyiv spreading around the world. That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting. And finally, in the Middle East, the Taliban has celebrated the second anniversary of its return to power in Afghanistan with a national holiday. It captured the capital Kabul on August 15, 2021, as U.S. and NATO forces withdrew from the country after 20 years of occupation. 
Zemaria Ali Abbasin reports from Kabul. Afghanistan's Taliban government marks two years in power. A UN study shows the economy has contracted by more than 20% since the Taliban's return. Foreign aid from NGOs has dried up while US sanctions have frozen billions in Afghan assets. The country remains one of the world's poorest, with 9 out of 10 Afghan families experiencing food and security. Despite this, Taliban fighters have been celebrating in Kabul, chanting jihad, freedom and victory against the US and NATO forces. There is a very good security environment in the country. During the last 20 years, lots of our people were killed, but now we enjoy overwhelming security. We hope that the Taliban could conquer the hearts of people. They should take some steps accordingly. They should reopen secondary schools for girls, tackle the increasing unemployment, and resume universities for female students. Taliban-led government organized events in different parts of the country. At Kabul High School, the authorities said that 10 million students are attending school now. Among their biggest achievements, the Taliban leadership site improved security, ongoing reconstruction projects, mining, and the continued payment of government salaries despite the economic crisis. We were able to maintain better relationships with Afghanistan's neighboring countries. Also, we have maintained relationships with various other countries. There are around 16 embassies who have been actively operating, and we also can have our embassies and consulates in these countries. The international community has called upon the Taliban government to reopen secondary schools and universities for female students and to create a positive environment for all people. I'm wholeheartedly saddened. I'm so upset about the living condition of young girls and their parents. They've been living in trauma because of their education and work-deprived children who've been paying a very big price. In the country's major cities, citizens have been demanding the reopening of secondary schools and universities to female students, a call that the Taliban leadership has largely rejected. The one religious seminary has agreed to provide women with a modern and technical education. That was Zimaria Ali Abbasin reporting. Before we go, here's a recap of the top stories. The number of people killed in the Hawaii wildfires has climbed to 106 as the search for more than 1,300 missing people continues. Niger's military junta says it is open to talks to resolve the crisis triggered by last month's coup. And at least 50 people have been injured in central and western Japan due to heavy rain and gale force winds brought by tropical storm Lan. And that concludes this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.